Well, we want to welcome you back to the Heights Baptist Church podcast. At Heights, our mission is to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we do that is by creating podcast episodes like this one. We uh, record these podcasts, uh, usually release them on Wednesday, and they are designed to help you take your next step in your faith journey. These are usually, uh, we talk about issues of faith, culture, and the church. And my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Heights. And today I'm joined by our pastor of Students and Connections, Jonathan McMeans. And so I want to say, uh, welcome, Jonathan. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's good to be here. So uh, first of all, happy Easter. Yeah, happy Easter for it, sure. It, it was a good day. It was a good day. There were a lot of folks at the church. Yes. And uh, it was fun to spend time together with family. Yes. Did the, the, the little bit, should she hunt some Easter eggs? Hunted some eggs, uh, you know, just got a little bit of a sunburn. You know, we're still new to this parenting thing. You're supposed to put sunscreen on children. That's what you? I've been told. Man, getting there. Yeah, I, uh, all of my kids were all kind of like laying around clutching their stomachs because they were in like sugar overload. They're like, <laughs> I eat too much candy. Yeah, so. Yeah, well, when your baby is still a toddler, you get to tax a good portion of the candy. So oh, I nice. would say that I'm kind of in that, uh, that sugar coma a little bit. That's fantastic. So makes it where it's a good week. That's awesome. So speaking of Easter, uh, the reason why we are recording this podcast today is that we're going to be talking about the ending of the book of Mark. We've been in the book of Mark as a church um, for several months now. And so on Easter Sunday, we finished the book of Mark. Um, but there's an issue with the book of Mark. And so what we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be using some big words. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, kind of two concepts that, that, we're going to, that we're going to talk through together. And one is called um, textual criticism. And the other one is called textual variance. And I, I think it's important just to kind of give some definitions um, to our audience who's gonna be listening and watching at home. Um, if you hear that word criticism, a lot of times we have very negative connotations with that. And so usually when you're being, if we're saying, no, we're not being critical of God's word. We hold a very high value on God's word. But what we're doing is we are critically thinking through the manuscript evidence that we have for God's word. One of the things that Pastor Lee talked about on, uh, on Sunday was that there are over 5,000 uh, manuscript copies of the New Testament writings. And that's just in, in, that's just in, um, in the original Greek that doesn't include translations. Um, and so what, what scholars are able to do is as they examine those over five, nearly 6,000 documents, they're looking at ways at which sometimes copyists make errors. Right. And we're trying to critically evaluate these documents and get back to the original text that the biblical authors wrote. And that brings us to um, the issue that we run into in the book of Mark. So, uh, Jonathan, if you'll just kind of uh, set that up for us, kind of set the table for us. Absolutely. Uh, so we're dealing with the last 11 verses of the last chapter of Mark. So Mark 16, 9 to 20. Uh, before we get into any discussion of it, I would like to take some time and just read it. Sounds good. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and read that for us. Uh, starting in verse 9, it says, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had uh, been by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking in the country, and they went back and told the rest, but did not believe them. Afterward, he compared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed uh, those who saw him after he had risen. Uh, 
And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. They went out and preached everywhere while the Lord uh, worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. All right. So that is Mark 16, uh, verses 9 to 20. And uh, I'm reading that, and I know that there's some things in there that, uh, that sound pretty similar to other areas in the Bible. Definitely. Um, when, I'm, when I'm reading that, I can't help but ask, uh, why, why is there footnotes on this? And just what is wrong with this passage? That's a really good point. Because again, as we're, um, as we're looking at this passage, I mean, I'm hearing echoes from the book of Acts. Right. I'm hearing echoes from Paul's letters. I'm hearing uh, things like the Great Commission in Matthew. I'm hearing uh, the road to Emmaus, which comes from Luke. And right. so all of this, most of this material um, is, is material that, that is echoed elsewhere in Scripture. So kind of what is the issue? Uh, what version were you reading from? Oh, that was the ESV. All right. Uh, do me a favor and tell me what, what the footnote is that you've got on that, on that passage. What did, what did the ESV tell us about these, um, these verses? Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 20. All right. And then it drops down and says some manuscripts end the book with 16, 8. Others include verses 9 through 20 immediately after verse 8. Uh, at least one manuscript inserts additional material after verse 14. Gotcha. So that's, I, I think, and I think that's a really important thing to point out now. Is that, So what we're doing, again, what we're talking about is textual criticism. So we're looking at those over 5,000 manuscripts and we're looking at ways in which they're different. Right. Um, and what, what, what we're understanding is that um, some of the earliest, most complete, some of the oldest, most complete and most reliable um, New Testament manuscripts don't have verses nine through 20. They end at verse eight. And so that kind of causes us to ask the question, um, if we have some of our oldest, most reliable manuscripts um, that end at verse eight, is verses, are verses nine through 20, are they original to something that Mark wrote or were they possibly added at a later time? And then, and if they were added at a later time, then you kind of have to ask the question, should they still be considered scripture? Right. So that's kind of what we're talking about here. Um, one of the questions that I think is important for us to kind of wrestle with as we're looking through uh, these questions about textual criticism is, wait a minute, so you're telling me there's almost 6,000 biblical manuscripts and then there's a lot of differences in those manuscripts. If there's a lot of differences in the manuscript, then how do I know which one is right? And how do I trust my Bible? You have any thoughts on that? Right. So when we're looking at uh, the question of how do I trust my Bible, I, I think it's important to circle back uh, to Mark 16. There is not really anything theologically wrong with uh with that specific passage jesus is still alive 
Absolutely. He's still the savior of the world. Absolutely. You know, the cross is still the cross. The empty tomb is still empty. But when you're looking at the variants, there's basically three views on this. Uh, okay. One of them being that um, it just kind of abruptly ends at verse eight. I know that there's several people. I, you hold that, or you you've you've expressed that to me uh, at some point. Um, there's some people that believe that it is as written, like they kind of ignore the footnote and just leave it there and say, well, maybe it was lost and then they found it. And so they wrote it back in there or, right. or something like that. And maybe then, these verses are missing from our oldest copies of Mark instead of maybe getting added later. Right. They got torn off or something. Yes. Yeah. And then the third view would be the original ending of Mark is lost and we don't right. know what it originally said. And so if there was a torn manuscript or something, uh, some scribe could have been like, oh no, it tore. I need to write something down right quick, you know? And so I tend to hold that view that says uh, any of those could be true, mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that it's pretty likely that it ended abruptly at eight because a piece was missing. Something was lost uh, in antiquity. And so I think whatever view of those that you hold is, is uh, a fair view. Um, and can be open to a lot. There's a lot of discussion yeah, on, on this particular chunk of scripture. I, I was going to say, one of the guys that I follow on YouTube um, did a really deep dive on this particular question. And as I was watching his videos and podcasts about this particular issue, he said that he spent 100 hours researching this particular topic Man. as to whether or not the ending of Mark um, is original to Mark or whether it, or whether it may have been added later. Um, in addition to... Um, it just not being there in some of the oldest manuscript copies that we have. Uh, one of the things that we notice about verses nine through 20 is the style's very different. There's a few things that Mark does very frequently in the way that he writes Greek. He writes Greek like somebody who speaks Hebrew. In other words, um, he tends to write Greek with a lot of run-on sentences. And then this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. It's, it's actually very common. Uh, John writes in a very similar style, again, because these are guys who grew up in Israel. These, they were native speaking, you know, Hebrew or Aramaic. And so when they're writing in, when they're writing in Greek, they're writing in something that's probably not their first language. And so they're, they're, they're writing in Greek in a way that somebody from the Middle East might speak Greek at that time. Um, and so there's a lot of stylistic things that are different in those last, um, those last few verses of Mark that cause you to think uh, this may have been written by a different person. Right. But, the, but from a historical perspective, it's really interesting because these verses have been there for a very long time. The oldest copies of um, the Gospel of Mark that we have don't have verses 9 through 20. But many of uh, the church fathers and theologians who are writing in the 2nd century, the 3rd century, 4th century, uh, comment on these verses and talk about these verses and talk about the fact that the verses are controversial. So guys like... Um, guys like uh, Jerome, who was the very first person to translate uh, the Greek uh, New Testament into Latin, talks about there being an issue with this ending of the book. Um, Irenaeus, who is a very early church father, probably in the, in the second century, talks about these verses and comments on these verses. And then, of course, um, a guy like Augustine, who's, who's writing in the fifth century, he's talking about there being issues with this passage and, and how you have some verses that, 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 that are kind of in question here. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting um, when we're talking about, again, this kind of this whole big idea of textual criticism and, and comparing um, different copies of the manuscript and what's there, what's not different, what's there and what's, what's not different, you actually have very few 
big chunks of scripture that are in question. Um, the early church, and I believe God working through his Holy Spirit and through providence, has done a remarkably good job preserving his word. The vast majority of uh, differences in vari variance amongst uh, the, the New Testament documents, the New Testament uh, manuscripts, they're spelling errors right. or differences in word order. And of course, if you've ever learnt, studied another foreign language, um, word order is very important in English because if we get the word order wrong, then we, we, we sound like Yoda. Right. But in other languages, word order don't always matter. And so frequently what you'll get when, when the early Christians are copying these manuscripts, because this is before the days of printing, this is before the day of the internet and Twitter and, and technology. So all of these got copied by hand. Typically you would have variations in spelling and then sometimes you would get words in a different order that don't affect the meaning of the text. But I think so, but since we're talking about this one, this one's pretty significant. This is 11 verses. Right. Are there any other places in the New Testament where there's kind of a question as to whether the verses belong or not, or whether they're original to uh, what the biblical authors wrote or not? Yeah, absolutely. There is in uh, the book of John chapter eight, there's another significant chunk of those verses. In the New Testament, they're the two largest chunks uh, that have this same type of issue where uh, the oldest manuscripts that we have just don't don't have them. Um, they're not there. And you're probably familiar with the, the story. If you're listening to a Heights Baptist Church podcast, I'm sure you've heard this passage before. But in John chapter 8, uh, there is a woman who is caught in sin, who gets drug out on the street, and uh, the people are getting ready to, to stone her. And the Bible says that they come to Jesus and asking him, basically, what, what should we do? And it says that he draws in the sand and he says, let you without sin cast the first stone. And then it says they, they walked away, starting with the oldest to the youngest. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's all, that's all in there. And uh, so when we, when we see chunks of scripture like this that are not in the oldest uh, manuscripts that we have, I, I think kind of what you were saying is we can still trust the Bible. The, the people that uh, have done a lot of the translating in almost every version that you could have are going to be very clear. It's yes. going to be painfully obvious. There's a big footnote that oftentimes it'll even be like a specific color that stands out. Like or a, they'll put it in brackets. In brackets yeah. or something that make it where it's, it's very obvious something is different here. If you're reading the conclusion of Mark or John chapter eight, you are going to, to have to pause and consider why is this uh, a little bit different? Right. But I think it's important to, to, to land on this is how do we as believers handle uh, these texts? Right. They're 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 problematic. There's these things. But what I would say is uh, as somebody that, that teaches teenagers, I know it doesn't take a lot to uh, make teenagers have distrust for the Bible. Right. Uh, there's hundreds of TikToks and YouTube videos about why the Bible isn't believable. Um, you and I as pastors would not hold that view, um, but I think it's important that we circle back. How do we handle them as believers? Uh, because I believe that there's nothing really inherently wrong with these passages. They don't say anything that scripture doesn't already communicate as a whole. Right. Um, we're just having a discussion on, on whether or not they're uh, edifying to the body, whether or not they should be preached. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, and, and really the, the big question that we're asking is, are they original? Right. You know, as 
um, as a church, we believe in something uh, called inerrancy. We right. believe that the Bible is without error in its, in its original writings. But of course, the original, original writings are lost to history, which is why, um, again, the, the whole concept of textual criticism is important because we're examining all of these different manuscripts um, and trying to kind of reverse engineer what the authors originally wrote, try and peel back you know, the layers of the spelling errors or the word transition, and then a few little places in the New Testament where there are a, there's a verse or two, or, or in, in these two examples, a, a good chunk of text that is in question. You know, and we wanna really, you know, the, the question that we're trying to answer is, does it belong in the scripture? You know, and, and so there's, there's folks that handle it a different way. Um, there's some that make the argument that, okay, if it's not, if it's not in, you know, um, in Vaticanus or, right. or, or, or in the Sinai Codex, then we shouldn't have it. You know, those no. are some of the most ancient texts that we have. And right. so we should just, we should stop at verse eight and not preach verse nine through 20. Right. Or we should skip over most of John chapter eight and go right to verse nine when we're preaching through that text. And that's a position I respect. Right. Um, but I also think that a, a position that I think is healthy is to continue to do what church fathers and translators and theologians and pastors have done throughout history which is to include these, include these uh, texts in the scripture mm -hmm. with a footnote that says, hey, these few little verses here, we've got some questions as to whether they're original or to whether they may have been added later. And that's been the way that, that, the, that the church throughout history has handled these. And I, I think it's wise to continue to, to handle them in that way. Um, I think when we teach from these passages of scripture, if we choose to teach from them, we probably want to teach it with a footnote, with an asterisk, you know, right. and, and I'm thinking specifically that um, in the ending of Mark, there's, there's two little spots that, that I think are very tricky. And it's when he's talking about the snakes and when he's talking about the poison. Right. Um, I would say because chapter 16 in Mark is in a, you know, is in a part of the gospel that's got a little asterisk, it's got a footnote. Right. We probably don't want to be encouraging, you know, our people on a weekly basis to be handling snakes or to be intentionally drinking poison, right? You know, I, I think, and so, and in the same, and in the same way, I would say, um, John chapter eight is a great passage. Um, I think it taught. I think it is a, an example of the compassion that Jesus had. Right. I think it's really. I think when when he says, "Let he who is without sin cast without sin cast the first stone," I think that really echoes of. Um, you know, take the, take the log out of your own eye before you look by, by trying to get the speck out of your brother's eye. Right. So it's very much, it's very much in the, in the scripture, in the tradition right. of, of other places in scripture. Absolutely. What exactly was he writing on the ground? I don't think it matters that much. Right. You know, it's fun to speculate. Right. But again, since you're talking about a passage that's got an asterisk, be like, eh, right. maybe it belongs in there. Maybe it got added later. Does it really matter what he wrote on the ground? Right. Probably not. And I, I think in that same in that same token, when you're looking at Mark 16, 9 through 20, a lot of that is in the book of Acts. Yes. Um, it, it a lot of it did happen. Yeah. Right. And so um, not, I'm not saying that 100 percent of it was recorded down. I'm not saying 100 percent of it happened in the book of Acts. But you see a lot of those types of things happening at, uh, at Pentecost and as they're going in and planting churches and their missionary journeys, you see uh, a lot of signs that are done by a body of believers that um, I, I think open up the realm of possibility that that's what Mark was alluding to. If uh -huh. Mark happened to be the author of those last, whoever wrote that right. was alluding to. And uh, I also think that you know, when we're, when we're 
handling these passages, we don't need to make them uh, areas of, of core doctrine, right? right? We don't need to, to say you have to be baptized to be a believer. Um, that That's a passage that certain denominations get that. That's and true. They'll use this. Uh, we don't have to say that you have to speak in a different tongue um, in order to be a believer. There are, demonstrate salvation. There are denominations that use this passage as a strong doctrinal point. Uh, you have some cults, and I'm going to call them cults, that uh, will um, like charm snakes and things like that and, and say, well, if, if you're really uh, on Team Jesus, then the snake's not going to bite you, Mark 16. And I think that that's a dangerous place. And then on, on John chapter 8, uh, I've heard arguments why Christians should be against the death penalty uh, hmm. on this, and they use that as a core a core statement, and we don't have to get into death penalty on this podcast, but That's true. but I, I will say, if you're going to make a scriptural argument, there are ways to make them uh, without using passages that are in brackets, um, and I right. think that's a questions where where there may be questions. Yes, yeah. I would I would uh, people that I'm discipling or mentoring, I would really push against them getting their core doctrines from passages with brackets around them. Um, and so that's just kind of a practice that I've had over the over the years. That's and a, so that's a really good point. And of course, and I would say kind of on the other side of that spectrum, don't allow the fact that there are spelling variations, word order variations, and the occasional passage, really two main passages that that where there may be some question as to whether or not they may have been original to the Bible. Don't allow that to be a stumbling block to your faith. God's people very carefully preserved his word throughout the centuries. And I really believe that God working through his Holy Spirit, working through divine providence, which means, you know, kind of like with his sovereign hand on history, uh, helped the church to preserve these writings um, the way that we have them. And so don't allow those two kind of tricky passages to give you concern about the core message of the gospel, which is that Jesus died Jesus rose and that Jesus is coming again. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, thankfully, you know, when we do have places in our, in our uh, Bible where there's questions about what that reading is, you know, that's what the footnotes are for. That's why it's good to have um, a good study Bible or a good Bible app where you can click on those little tiny letters, A, B, C, and read, you know, because even the little variations, sometimes they'll include, like you'll, yeah. you'll go to a, a verse and you'll click on that little A or that little B and they'll say, or, you know, some manuscripts use this word instead of that word. And, and so the, the translators have done a really good job. They're not hiding the ball. They're not trying right. to deceive you. God's word has been very, very well uh, preserved. And then there's a couple little spots where there's some questions. And, and, and so I think it's okay to continue to, to, to explore those questions, but don't allow the fact that, nine, that we've got a question mark hanging over exactly who wrote 9 through 20, and whether it was Mark or whether it was somebody who added it later, to cause you to doubt who Jesus was, right. to doubt the fact that he died for your sins, to doubt the fact that he rose again on the third day, and that by putting your faith and trust in him, you can have life in his name. That's good. Well, I think that's actually a great place to end it. We want to thank you so much for joining us for this week's deep dive into the ending of Mark. Uh, thank you once again for joining us on the podcast. We would love to see you um, at our worship service. We worship on Sunday mornings at our Alvin campus uh, at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We're going to be continuing to do that uh, throughout um, the month of April. And then in the month of May, we're actually going to be going to one service starting on May 15th. And so we'll have life groups for all ages at 9 
and then a worship service at 10.30, starting in the middle of the month of May. And so we would encourage you to find us online or to come and visit us in person. We'd love to get to know you and find out how we can love and serve your family. Until next time, thank you for joining us.